looking at, and we've been looking at this passage for a month, and during that time, as we've been looking at chapter 18, we've noticed um, it all began with a question, who is the greatest? Who is the greatest? And ever since the disciples asked that question, they have been instructed on how to relate to their brothers, how to relate to sheep, how to be servants, and how not to be stumbling blocks. And somewhere in the midst of all of that, they got a message of what greatness meant in his kingdom. What does, really, what does real greatness mean? And greatness means relating to one another humbly, caring about each other spiritually, seeking those who are lost or who are wandering, and loving each other. And when I talk about love, it's love the verb. And I think it's really, really important for people to understand the difference between the emotion or the feeling of love and love the verb. Because Christ told us to love the verb. It didn't tell us that we were going to have feelings of love. It was love the verb. So regardless of whether we like someone, whether we feel certain ways about someone, the command is that regardless of that, we are to love them. That we are to love them. Um, and so if you looked at 1 Corinthians 13 and that love chapter, none of those words are feeling words. Those are all action verbs. Be patient, be kind, be thoughtful, be long-suffering. And that's the love that God calls us to do. That's the love that we are supposed to have. And it has nothing to do, nothing to do with feeling. It has everything to do with a response to God's love for us. So we are told to love others in that way, even after they have hurt us. All of that was greatness in God's kingdom. And Jesus' disciples had to have been stunned by his answer. Because having started with that innocent question of who's going to be the greatest, at least in their minds, it was innocent. His disciples had been taught lesson after lesson after lesson about humility and about servanthood and how are we to relate to others in the kingdom. Um, and how serving or how being great in the kingdom means serving others who are part of the kingdom. Which leads us to today's parable. And I really can't think of a better passage uh, that sort of goes along with Communion Sunday. Because this parable points us to the overwhelming cost, not just the overwhelming love, but the overwhelming cost of God's forgiveness and comparative, comparatively the relatively small cost of forgiveness that we have to give to others. Um, and so we'll see a couple of lessons um, about faith as well as about forgiveness in this passage. So first of all, look at verses 21 and 22. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. 
In other words, it says 77, 7 times 77. Um, so here you have Peter's follow-up question to what Jesus had been teaching last week when we went through verses 15 through 20 about forgiveness and how do you handle those personal differences between each other. And I can imagine Jesus or Peter thinking, you know what? Jesus just asked, how many times should we forgive? You know, up to seven times. And he's probably thinking that he's pretty generous in his forgiveness. Um, because it, it, according to the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, the law, they said that all you had to do was forgive somebody three times. And if, after you forgave them three times, you can be done with them. And where they got that was from Amos chapter 1, verse 3, where it says, for three sins, yea, and for four, God brings judgment upon whatever city. So they've sinned three times on the fourth. Judgment, we're good. So Peter's thinking, hey, I'm good. I'm going to forgive six times, and out of good measure, I'm going to add a seventh. I'm going to add a seventh. So he's thinking he's pretty good. And for all of us, I don't think there's a person here. Forgiveness is the virtue we most enjoy and least employ. Yeah. The virtue we most enjoy and the one we least employ. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's, a, it's a tough one, ain't it? <laughs> We all love to be forgiven. We expect it, we want it, but we sometimes find it a real struggle to forgive. We refuse to do it sometimes and just, I mean, refuse at no whatever cost. I'm not going to forgive that. This is what that person did to me. I will never forgive them. But as soon as we do something, oh, please forgive me. Let's make it all good. Um, so at any rate, Peter just feels that he's being magnanimous. Um, as you read the scripture, I think there are times uh, which we often misunderstand it because we take it seriously or because we take it seriously, you know, or interpret it seriously, we may misunderstand it. Um, <clears throat> and the problem is, is that we just have the words. We don't have the emotion that Jesus was sharing. We don't have the body language. We, don't, we can't see. We can't hear the tone. So, you know, we just hear the, the facts. And I think that's sometimes how we respond to the facts. And we don't see Jesus in a casual way. We don't see Jesus just having this conversation with Peter. But I sort of picture a casual conversation going on with Peter in my mind. And so Peter says, hey, Jesus... This is some pretty hard stuff. How many times should I forgive? Like seven times? And I could almost hear Jesus sort of putting his arm around Peter and just sort of having this chuckle in his, you know, in his voice and saying, Peter, let me tell you. Would you believe 490 times? You know, I could just see him saying it in that casual experience and saying, Peter, you're not even close. Not, I don't see it as a judgment. I don't see it as, 
you know, a challenge. I don't see it as harsh. I just see it, Peter, you wouldn't believe how many times you're going to have to forgive. Um, and the point is, that's not the question. And I find that Christians sometimes just ask the wrong questions. We ask, how far can I go before it's a sin? How can I get away with this? Well, what if I do this? Is this bad? We never come from the other side. What is the greatest expression of love? How can I love God more so that I can love others better? How is, how is this behavior a more loving act versus how is this behavior one that I can get away with? And so we, have the, we sort of have this balance, and it's in the book Irresistible by Andy Stanley, which I think is a great book. Other people have not been so happy, um, but I love it. Uh, he talks about the fact that in the Old Covenant is one thing, but the Old Covenant has always pointed us to the new. And the new was the command to love God and love others. So every question, every question we ask should be based on how much do we love God and how does that, how do we love one another? And so that's the real question that Jesus is going to be asking Peter. That's not how many times do I need to forgive? How deep is your love? How deep is your love? Um, and then he says, when you see why you should forgive them, Peter, you will see that there is no limit at all to the amount of times you should forgive. Jesus is basically saying, Peter, your heart needs to be transformed. Move away from Amos and focus on love. Move away from the law that said you only had to forgive three times and now see the new law that says love. Be transformed by your realization of how much God has forgiven you. And if you'll think for a minute, Peter, how much has God forgiven you? And that's really the question that each one of us has to ask. How much has God really forgiven each one of us? And I could imagine Peter just running through all these things in his mind and the times that he was with Jesus, when he questioned, when he doubted, when he denied, and then ran off because of that shame and that guilt. And then how Jesus came to him and said, Peter, come on, do you love me? Well, you know I love you. Well, do you love me? Well, you know I love you. Well, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Well, then, what are you doing here fishing for fish? I told you to go fish for men. Get back to work. You know, it was that simple. And it was all based on love. And if Jesus could forgive Peter that way, Peter's thinking to himself, well, yeah, you know, somebody sins against me and I'm going to hold on to it? How could I do that? So you can just imagine that poignancy when Peter recalls the night of his betrayal. Um, now, it does raise a couple of points, and I think that we just need to understand. <clears throat> when there's a broken relationship, forgiveness can be there. And there can be a reconciliation of understanding of what took place. But it doesn't necessarily mean that there's going to be a restoration. Because just as it takes two people to fight, it takes two people to have a restoration. It doesn't take two people to reconcile. It takes two people 
for a restoration. And what I mean by reconcile, I can be reconciled to the reality of something and I can be reconciled that somebody has hurt me and I can be reconciled to the fact that that person may never ask for forgiveness. So there may never be a restoration, but I can also be reconciled with the fact that I can forgive. And not only can I forgive, but I can have a spirit of forgiveness. Calvin wrote, there are two kinds of forgiveness. There is the willingness to forgive, and there is that forgiveness of a repentant person that helps restore the relationship. So there's a sense that regardless of what happens to me, I'm willing to forgive. And if a person truly is repentant, then there's a possibility of restoration. Um, <clears throat> and there are going to be times when God calls upon us to have a merciful heart towards someone who is yet to even acknowledge that they've sinned against us or have asked for forgiveness. Um, and at the same time, God may call upon us at any time to be ready to forgive a person ha who has offended us, who has hurt us. I, I, I'm in a situation like that, that there's a person that has done something, and I am more than willing to forgive them. But they've never acknowledged what they've done, and they continue to live in that way. And so it's, I can forgive them, but there's not going to be a restored relationship um, until there is that agreement. Um, but once a person does come, then there's that possibility of the restoration. So again, it takes two to quarrel, but let us not be the obstacles to reconciliation and restoration. And the way we are obstacles to restoration and reconciliation is by not having a spirit of forgiveness. But too often it's the other way around. We ourselves, again, want forgiveness. We want it extended to us immediately. And if we, act, we almost think of it as a right. That if I ask forgiveness, you need to forgive me. But we are, when we are deeply hurt, we are very reluctant in our willingness to hand out the same kind of mercy that we want for ourselves. And to go along with that song, do, are we going to be stingy? Are we going to hold on to love? Or are we going to show the same reckless love that God has shown for us by extending mercy to others? So Jesus is saying, Peter, I don't care how deep the hurt is. The hurt you have received cannot compare to the hurt that you have caused your father, which the father has freely forgiven you. So we have to decide on what we're going to focus on um, in that. So the answer to, to that deeper question, why should I forgive my brother? Our Lord gives us this parable to just emphasize all the things that I just sort of said. And the opening part of it is found in verses 23 through 30. So just go ahead and read that at your tables, verses 23 through 30. If you want to have somebody at your table read it out loud, you could have that.
the value of this parable lies in seeing the picture of us. The value of the parable lies in seeing that it is a picture of us. Jesus is here holding up a mirror to each and every one of us that we may see ourselves. We are the servants that have been forgiven a vast and staggering amount of money. And God is the great king that has forgiven us. This 10,000 talents or is an incredible amount. At that point, it would have been like $10 million. Now, you put that in today's dollars, it would be billions. Um, it would be more than kingdoms would ever have. And so this king, this man owes him that, and he says, okay, I'm going to throw you in jail. You're, you're gone. Your family, everyone, because until you repay that debt. Well, that debt would never be repaid. It would be generations after generations that would be in jail because they would never be able to repay that debt. And so he falls down before God, and, or the king, and just pleads for mercy. And he forgives him. He forgives him. But it doesn't, think about it, that just the aspect of that he forgave him. The king now assumed that debt, which depleted his treasury. I mean, it was a tremendous cost to the king that he did that. Um, and that kind of debt is absolutely impossible to repay. And we're supposed to see ourselves in that. To recognize our rebellions. Now I find it interesting the amount of people that tell me that they're not that bad. <laughs> that they, you know, you know what, I, my sins aren't all that horrible. I haven't done anything. And I just find it interesting because we always compare ourselves to the darkness. We never compare ourselves to the light. Um, we had our kitchen remodeled and Micah was doing the, the ceiling. And he was using these monster bright lights to sand the ceiling, make it smooth. And he's in there for hours doing that. And I say, turn off the lights. And he goes, why? He goes, because the ceiling will look perfect as soon as you turn off the light. But as long as you keep that light on it, no matter what you do, you're going to see every little imperfection. Well, that's, that's us. We like to compare ourselves to darkness so we don't have to see our shortcomings. Um, we don't see our willful choices. We don't see our lovelessness towards other people. We don't see our biases or our bigotry or our injustices as being all that bad. We don't take a look at the hurt we've caused somebody else. Instead we think, well, it wasn't that big of a deal. Or our pride or our anger or our lust, or our bitterness, or our hates, or our lies. And all that adds up to years of a staggering debt to God, which he said, forgiven. Forgiven. Because that's the good news. There came a day when we stood in the presence of God and heard him pronounce these words. The debt is forgiven. Your sins are forgiven in Christ's name. 
the debt was wiped away. In one moment, it was gone. Before God, we stood cleansed, blameless, free. The debt was paid, and we were free. Now, if you fully understand the depth of your own sin, and I'm not talking about the big ones, because you may not have murdered anybody in your life, and that's good. But have you been angry? Have you talked bad about one of God's creations? Have you judged people that you had no right to judge? We do those things daily without even thinking about it. And those are the types of things that God says, I went to the cross for you for those things. One would expect that this servant would be thrilled and to have a change of heart. But what does he do? He goes immediately out and finds one of his debtors, grabs him by the throat, and says, pay me back the $20 you owe me. And that's basically what it was. $20 versus $10 million. And so this servant does the same thing. He says the exact same words. Have mercy on me. I'll, I'll work, I'll pay it back, pay it all back. And this servant says, nope, you and your family are going to jail until you repay that $20. Now that $20 for a day laborer would have been about four months wages. So you can imagine, it'd be pretty hard to save that up. And that's how we are. When God has forgiven us a debt of $10 and somebody does something to us and we get angry, we get hurt. Um, Jesus says what we do when we refuse to forgive each other of even those most harmful and hurtful behaviors or sins against us, no matter how bad they appear, no matter how bad it looks, no matter how we feel about it, it pales in comparison to what Jesus did for us. Again and again, he cancels out the debt as we come to him aware of how we have terribly failed. Hearing them, hearing again the loving words, you are forgiven. But what happens when we're hurt? When someone offends us, how quickly do these words come to our mind? How do these words, like we feel it's justice, it's what's justice. And we start demanding, pay me what you owe me. I demand an apology. Give me my rights. Let me have what's, what's due to me. Let me have what's coming to me. Treat me like I deserve. I demand to be treated with respect. See, how many times do we utter those kind of words when somebody has hurt us? And those are words of justice. Those aren't words of mercy. And instead, Jesus says, show mercy. And in the next rest of the story, he reveals two great reasons why Christians must forgive those who offend them. Verse 31, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. Servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? 
And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailer until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do, everyone, do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. There are two reasons revealed here why, Christ, why Christians must forgive each other. First, we must forgive because anything less is hypocritical. We may demand justice, but we don't stand in that seat. We don't stand there. We do not stand on that ground ourselves. Instead, we stand on the ground of being given mercy. Um, as the king said to his servant, you wicked servant, should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Now, I can understand a believer not understanding that, but anybody who's come to Christ to ask for forgiveness for their sins and has eternity settled and has a life, of, a possibility of living life, and abu life abundant here on earth and allows anybody else not to have that same opportunity, that's on us. Um, so he says, we must forgive one another because we have already been forgiven. And again, take a look at Colossians 3 um, and in Ephesians 4.31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander put it, be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. See, that is the basis of Christian forgiveness. And how do we know if we're demanding justice? Most of us know. Most of us can tell in our words what's being said, and that's how it is revealed. The words we say to others, the words we tell others, tells whether or not we're demanding justice or we're showing God's mercy, God's grace, and God's love. And our words always will reveal that. When we speak sarcastically, harshly, or angrily to another person, we're demanding justice instead of showing mercy. And I've come to learn by sad experience as well as by observation that this is one of the most destructive problems we have in homes. We demand justice from our children. We demand justice from one another. We demand justice from our spouses instead of showing mercy. Instead of showing mercy and grace. We expect other people to behave in ways that we can't. Or that we have not been able to. And then when they don't behave in the way we aren't able to behave, and we expect them to behave that way, we demand justice that we don't look to them for forgiveness for the fact that we're doing the same thing. It's very easy to point out somebody else's fault but not acknowledge our own behavior. We can be very severe and unending and rigid in our demands. And the minute we revert to the basis of justice, we are following the law of retaliation. I can see it in a marriage. I can tell you when a relationship fails and usually every relationship fails you know i could t marriages fail six months before they even start and where it starts is there's something that took place and there was a resentment and from that resentment became a retaliation because there was a justice that was demanded and the justice wasn't served and there wasn't mercy given and so that there be cont continues to be retaliation. And usually 30 years later, the retalia retaliation is finally lived out. 
And it all starts by not showing the same mercy that God showed us. So that's the first reason we're supposed to forgive each other. Because we have been forgiven. The second reason is much more personal. When, and when we don't forgive others, take a look at Hebrews 12, 15. Let no root of bitterness spring up trouble in you. When we don't forgive, we allow a root of bitterness to develop in us, and that bitterness will destroy. And I have seen people who haven't forgiven other people or don't have a spirit of forgiveness who will hold on to things that happened to them 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago that still affect them today and cause a root of bitterness that they can't see anything hopeful or anything wonderful. And so in the Christian community, and we trying to help people to live in life freely, and yet they hold on to bitterness, and God says, you know what? I can't help you live life freely if you continue to hold on to these things that are preventing my grace to have full reign inside of you. It's our choice, folks. How are we going to live in the blessings of Christ? Or are we going to live in the reckless love of God? Or are we going to hold on and live in the stingy justice of humanity? Those choices are ours. Um, forgiveness takes place when we stop saying, look what you're doing to me, and start saying, what can I do to help relieve your hurt? See, that's when real forgiveness takes place. How can... You know, not look what you're doing to me, but how can I help you relieve your hurt? That's when we forgive. And a merciful heart is the first sign of a person who has truly realized God's mercy that has been given to them. And we need to stop comparing our sins with the big ones and just recognize the sins of attitude and thoughts. Jesus is saying, look, Christian, I'm not saying forgiveness is easy. But I am saying this. If you will remember how much you owed and how much God paid, you will find the resources to be able to forgive others. Because all real forgiveness costs. And it costs the one who gives it. And it costs Christ the most. To, get for, to forgive us. And you can hear Jesus' words saying, think how much you owe the Father. Now you can forgive in that light. And as soon as you do, you will be free to truly live an abundant life. But it doesn't happen without a spirit of forgiveness. Father, I just praise you and thank you for this day. Thank you for the time that we have to come together and Lord, I just ask that you continue blessing upon each and every person here. That Lord, these